Well, good afternoon. Here we go. It's the Thursday edition. It is a great day for talk radio. Of course, uh, last night was a crazy, crazy night in the U.S. of A. Yesterday afternoon, I guess it all started, that uh, Trump news conference there and uh, Jim Acosta, this claim. I've been watching this video, and I mean, there's also now uh, a claim put forward that it's a doctored video that came from the White House because uh, it's not in real time specifically. And uh, in fact, there's, well, they uh, kind of emphasize the fact that this intern might have been brushed by Acosta, the CNN reporter. Did you see the press conference live when that moment happened? I did. I did, too. And? I, I don't know what they're talking about. Well, uh, you know, and... Uh, I mean, I see the situation, but w- was there anything that's founded in what they say? I I thought it was a stretch, you know, but a, again, you know, you'd have to break stretch. it down. But, you know, this happens. I see this in football all the time. You think that there's a catch. <laughs> no, I'm not making this up. Sure. Video replay, it's like baseball as well close play at the plate or at first base and whatever, and then you go back to the video, you see there's a difference in perception from real time and then when something is slowed down, especially football, what constitutes a catch. It may look like the player's had possession as he goes to the ground. tips. Well, yeah, but uh, then this becomes like you're, you're starting to split hairs and parsing things as to whether or not he actually had control. And, you know, over the span of an elongated time frame, because it's slow motion, it slowed down. So did the reporter have possession of the mic and did he release possession of the mic? Well, was he striking her like brushing her shoulder? Did he maintain possession of the microphone? Well, I guess you could put it that way. See, because I'm kind of curious. They say Jim Acosta put his hands on a young intern. I thought the last time that's actually happened in the White House, Bill Clinton was in the Oval Office, wasn't he? Okay. Uh, Well, this is something that will have to be contested down the road. We'll talk about it. Certainly, uh, you know, whether or not he gets his his press credentials back. Man, oh, man, it's uh, really become somewhat sophomoric, hasn't it? But uh, in case you missed it, during yesterday's press conference, Trump got into it with not just Acosta, but another guy from ABC. You're a very rude person. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. In, in, go in ahead, Jim, Peter, go in, ahead. In Jim's defense, I've traveled with him and watched him. He's a diligent reporter who busts his Well, I'm not a big fan of, of yours either. There you go. <laughs> Still makes me giggle. <laughs> well, it does. But, you know, it's a synergetic kind of a thing, or symbiotic, I guess, is what you'd call it, because CNN needs Trump as much as he is vilifying them. Sure. And they can, because they've turned into basically the anti-Trump network. And they've made no bones about it that this is what they're going to dine out on or that's the hill they're going to die on. And if their ratings are going into Davy Jones' locker, it may be because they've miscalculated. Or perhaps people have just had their fill of it and they figure, okay, enough already. No muss. Like, let's do something else that might have some uh, journalistic integrity because it's very slanted. But then again, I mean, Trump makes no bones about calling them out as uh, fake news. And I mean, look... (laughs) I was bewildered when this guy was caught, you know, with the white van down there in Florida for having sent these pipe bombs. He actually had a sticker attached to, I guess, his van that said, CNN sucks. And I'm thinking, like, is there an actual cottage industry to crank these things out? Unless it's handmade, somebody has decided that this is a sentiment that runs rather rampant in certain precincts. Right? It looked like it was his own artwork. Was it? Yeah. And then he had like the targets on people's faces and all kinds of stuff on that thing. Okay. I thought maybe that was a, you know, 
a broadly manufactured novelty item that you could pick up. CNN socks. No, I actually found them. They're about uh, two seventy-five a piece. Oh, two dollars and seventy-five cents. Yeah, I can buy them off the internet. Oh, well, there you go. You see, not that a DIY. W- uh huh. So this again reinforces my point that if there's, you know, this is the land of entrepreneurship, isn't it? I mean, the meme starts and then somebody capitalizes on it and decides they're going to manufacture these things, mass manufacture, and t- not just one. I mean, there's a whole selection here. Uh, breaking news alert: CNN sucks. Really? Oh yeah. Wow. So you see, you this is this is how then the thing has just been uh, amplified to a point of no return. And for better or worse, I wonder what they're selling in the CNN store. <laughs> you know, So it's maybe a whole lot of anti-Trump paraphernalia and people want to buy that, too. You know, like a, a Make America Great Again ball cap, but it's one of those novelty items with the, the lump of turd on the bill of the cap. You know? Or the so, big cross, uh, cross it. Well, maybe. No. But yeah. That kind of stuff. Isn't that interesting? So these two kind of have this symbiotic relationship, and I don't know where it's leading because it certainly coarsened the public discourse, the political conversation. We'll debate some of that with our panel after 520 and topics worthy of discussion. Goodness knows there are so many. I mean, America is a land in turmoil. Need I say any more? Last night uh, we had this shooting at this bar, this California country bar. You know what's interesting? Some of the people who were in that bar and survived were also at that country western festival in vegas just over a year ago when that shooter killed 59 people mm-hmm. so you talk like, about yeah literally and figuratively dodging the bullet twice on two occasions there were actually some people who had gone to that festival which name escapes me right now but you've, you're all familiar with right, that thing where it was a mass shooting and uh they were in that country western bar because it's a very popular place in Thousand Oaks, California, just up the coast from Los Angeles by about 40 miles. Do you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of during the Second World War when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. There were people who survived right, and who tried to make their way to safety, and they had family in Nagasaki. Right. And there's actually a handful of people who were struck twice, right. uh, and I believe even a smaller handful that survived. Right. But I think this says something that there's so many shootings in America that you could be on the scene for more than one. That's kind of it. And you know what else it tells me? If you follow these patterns of shootings where they go into bars or such, the most dangerous occupation's got to be a bouncer. I mean, a bouncer usually the first one who confronts an individual who looks like he's got malice of forethought or ill intent. Bouncer, you can't go in there and boom. The guy gets shot. That has to be something that now comes with danger pay. Or a bulletproof vest. Well, I don't know if the vest is going to save you if the guy, you know, just comes up to you right in the face. And But this is where... Man. I've done security in the past, and we would wear uh, cut gloves. So if someone has a knife, you can grab the blade of it. Really? And, yeah, and it won't cut through the gloves. Wow. But, I mean, now that's not going to do you any good against a bullet in today's climate. No. No, you would need something like a, a full-on Kevlar shield, you know, or something, and you're the bouncer. Man, oh, man, it's come to this. And, you know, the irony here is California has amongst the nation's strictest gun laws. So, yeah. I mean, how this is now going to be uh, reshaped as we need to ban handguns and this and that, impractical to do in the United States of America, with some estimates saying the number of handguns running in 300 million range, 
So, what, are you going to have an amnesty, draw those all in? That ain't going to happen. Well, we may hear, you know, for example, that, you know, um, bouncers should now be, should now have a gun. Well, then there's that argument as well. Everybody should be packing heat to handle any bullets that might come at you. Well, uh, and, you know, it makes you wonder how friendly an establishment that would look to be. You're going out for a night of line dancing and you're confronting the guy at the door, you know, behind the velvet rope. And he's got himself a Kevlar vest. He's wearing a visor, uh, you know, and he's well, also... Welcome to the fun. Yeah. Enjoy yourselves uh, with some Billy Ray Cypress, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we find ourselves, you know. This uh, goes on unabated in America. And they say that here in this country, a lot of the guns that are coming into Canada are coming up from the States. There was a story about a woman who was stopped at the Peace Bridge the other day, mm-hmm. and they found 25 handguns in her gas tank. How they came up with that? Well, they x-rayed the vehicle, first of all, which is an interesting way uh, of doing it. You would hope that maybe, you know, we could extend the amount of x-ray machinery and the processes and so on. And in fact, the federal government has decided they're going to spend $86 million over the next five years combating gun and gang violence. This was announced by Bill Blair, the Minister of Border Security and Organized Crime Reduction, and Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale. $51.5 $51.5 million over the next five years for the Canada Border Services Agency to get this. Build an all-weather detector dog training facility. All-weather detector dog training facility. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, all-weather? So let me understand. So mo- for the most part, these dogs only work on nice days. Well, of course, they're public <laughs> servants, right? <laughs> There's your answer right there. Foolish me. What was going through my head? Come of course, on. that's the answer right there. 34.5 mil going to go to the RCMP to enhance investigations, training, inspections, technology, and intelligence. And that inspections technology includes, includes more radar, or uh, I guess it's x-ray rather, more x-ray. But the sniffer dog contingent is also going to be bolstered. Now, I don't know if they're going to be uh, members of PSAC or QP necessarily. The handlers will. There's no question about that. You Do go. you unionize the dogs too? <laughs> and so. Make sure they get breaks. Well, plenty yeah. Plenty of treats. Oh, yeah. 100%. Water. Where would you find them? I mean, uh, would we send our public service out to the Westminster Dog Show at Madison Square and look for the best breeds? Because they're handsome dogs. If you ever see them at Pearson, they come sniffing around they're the baggage trained, carousel. Right? Oh, they are. They're highly trained. Little and terriers and stuff like that. You right. just want to pet them. But <laughs> Do not. They're, no, no, because they're, they're working. They're working. It's like, can't you see I'm busy here well, sniffing out luggage? Maybe retired, uh, you know, canine units, retired police dogs whose noses are still good, but, they're, you know, they're, they're tired of chasing idiots up and down the street in Toronto. <laughs> You're right. You're right. They want to come in from the cold, uh, get an easier beat to hoe. I get it. But, you know, I'm, their noses are still good. I wonder if you can tell when the dog is ba- past his best before date. You know, he's just not sniffing as readily. They must have some kind of a test to that effect. But anyway, so this is what the government's announced. Just wanted to fill you in on that. Ralph Goodale also uh, making public this notion. It came to the uh, knowledge of the Stafford family that uh, Terry Lynn McClintock has been sent to a max uh, penitentiary in, in Edmonton and out of this healing lodge in Saskatchewan. Finally, I guess somebody had the good sense because Goodell was passing the buck about two weeks ago and he said, well, this is all about the Canada Service, uh, Correctional Services Canada. They've got the, the wherewithal to, to handle this. It's beyond my purview. But uh, he announced that today. So 
strike a blow for the good guys. This is something that was important to do. You know, when it comes to law enforcement, though, I'm going to start with this. And then at the bottom of the hour, uh, well, we'll uh, get to Joe Newberger here in past the bottom of the hour. Just wanted to give you the heads up as well. Uh, going to bring the Tony Clement story into play here before uh, too long, because now it turns out there were multiple incidents of infidelity he's written a rather lengthy letter to his constituents of perry sound muskoka i'll crib some of the quotes from that but he's asking forgiveness he's talking about how he's betrayed his constituents his colleagues people who looked up to him and most significantly his wife and then he goes on to say i can assure the residents of perry sound muskoka that my offices remain open and at your service and that i will continue to uphold the responsibilities of being your member of parliament and then he leaves his constituency phone number, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. No, I'm just kidding. That was a low blow. That wasn't fair. I uh, noticed he stopped using the word discharge and talking about his duties. What kind of talk is that still on a family show here? Uh, you're right. Uh, this is something that he wants to be very, very mindful of with the language and so on and so forth. Yeah, you know, it's a, a tragic thing when somebody falls from grace that uh, precipitously. But uh, is his career salvageable? We'll ask a little later. I, I wanted to get to another issue that had to do with the police, though, and it it was kind of uh, preying on me last night after the show when I was thinking about this case in Marco Muzzo, denied day parole and full parole. He can go back up that hill next year, but we all know the story. Uh, wiped out a family of four. It was unfortunate to to the max but you know that the guy had been drinking at his bachelor party and then four four drinks on the private plane home and then he gets into his suv at pearson and we know how it all played out but it was well before that that i think some of the the root of the problem might have been uh put in play because uh while he insisted that you know this was an isolated incident. He seldom seldom drank, only to access on birthdays and other festive occasions, for which, you know, we can quibble about, and we will a little later. We'll uh, get to the panel if he's got an alcohol problem. If you're a binge drinker, uh, a lot of binge drinkers would say, no, it's just on such rare occasions, so I'm, I'm not in the throes of addiction. This is what Muzzo actually said. But more importantly, the parole panel said it appeared that police officers had reduced several of Muzzo's speeding tickets, meaning he'd never have received demerit points or lost his license. As a result, the parole panel said, Muzzo never faced consequences that might have changed his behavior or attitude toward driving. Drinking and driving. So this is where I ask you, and we'll open the lines in this, I'm very curious. The cops, you know... I get it, because sometimes when you're stopped by the police, you would like them to show discretion. If you've got a good enough excuse for certain behavior or whatever. License lapsed, you forgot. Or, you know, you've already applied for the sticker, it's still in the mail. That kind of, you know, and the cop should cut you a break, right? But when it comes to these kinds of incidents where, say, there's bad driving habits, speeding, I think the guy had, uh, like, 12 incidents? Eight for speeding? Yeah, you know, and this came up, it, it wasn't known uh, initially, but it surfaced later in, uh, I guess, this testimony that he was giving before the parole board, which led to an accusation that he wasn't being fully transparent. And uh, even the parole officer uh, claimed not to have known. But see, this is my point. If the cops are showing discretion in these cases, and I know oftentimes we'd like them to, but therein lies the double-edged sword. If they cut you a break so they don't cost you demerit points and your insurance never goes up or it's not flagged, 
Are they really doing you a favor or are they enablers? So that's my question to you. The cop showing discretion in uh, letting you go, letting you go or get off with a lighter fine, let's say, but no demerit points. Are they enablers in, in a sense? And gosh, you know, as I say, it's kind of got me up a rope because on the one hand, you'd like to get, catch a break from a police officer if there's, you know, good reason for it. On the other hand, in so doing, they might not be doing you any favors long term. They might be acting as enablers. Your thoughts on that? Do you agree with that? Or do you think, you know, the police, when they save you from demerit points, are really cutting you a break and it's all good and you uh, applaud them for that? The Muto case, it seems like it wasn't a governor on bad behavior. And therein lies the, the point I'm trying to make. We'll take some of your thoughts. 870-6400. And I'll add this one as well. Can you be a binge drinker without having a so-called alcohol problem? On the rare occasion, you know, you get, well, it's not faced at some, somebody's stag, you know, a kegger, whatever, an anniversary party. Can you be? 